Uh, hey, welcome. My name is Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here. And especially welcome to those of you who are new. Every week we've got lots of new people who come to Ascent and check out Ascent. So we're always glad that you're here. And I hope, uh, like Becky said, I hope you fill out a little card. Uh, you can take, at the end of the service, you can set it on a chair. You can take it across the Next Steps area. We'll give you a free T-shirt as a little gift. Uh, I hope that you'll take advantage of that. And uh, you can even fill it out now. Trust me, I won't say anything of importance for the next, like, 10 minutes. So this is a great time to fill out the card. Um, and for those of you who uh, invite other people to come kind of check out our community, I want to say to you, uh, we're so grateful for that. We, we hope that every person, uh, we hope every person has a chance to engage God with kind of clear eyes. And that's part of what we do as a church. And for those of you who are inviters, uh, you're heroes because you, I think you help make that happen. So uh, we want to say a special thank you to you guys. Uh, all right, we, we want to uh, keep going in a series that we started last week called On Purpose. The idea of this is that we're looking at who God is. We're looking at what makes God, God. And we are looking at that in relationship to who we are as a church and who we are as individuals. And how does that actually propel forward who we are uh, as a community here and what God has for this church but also just you and your life and who you are. And so uh, last week, Bill started by talking about this word inspiring and how uh, God is uh, unbelievably inspiring in what he does, and, and we are inspired when we know God more. And in fact, these are really, uh, the things we're going to be going through this week are really the core values of our church, sitting right outside the, in our beautiful little curtain sanctuary here. Uh, right outside there, you can read the five of them. And uh, so he started with inspiring last week, and I was inspired. Do you guys love it when Bill gets all fired up? I just love it. He got off, and I was like, man, just keep get, just get fired up. I, every time, just get fired up, and I love it. And so he was vintage Bill last week with that. And I just, he shared this passage, and I want to share again this week. He shared a passage. It was written actually thousands of years ago. It's so funny how something that can be written so long ago actually still matters. He wrote, uh, or he shared a passage. It was written uh, in a book called Isaiah in the Old Testament. And it was written to a community that was kind of hard-pressed. They were in a tough spot. There were a lot going on. And uh, they, they were uh, frightened in some ways about their future. And Isaiah had these unbelievable words to them to tell them to trust God, that God was actually going to do something beyond what they could imagine in their midst. And, uh, and Bill shared this, and I think it's applicable to us today. Look at some of the words that he shared. This is Isaiah 54. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. In other words, make, make, make room because something's going to happen that's bigger than you think. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch those tent curtains wide. Bill was hilarious. He said, see, this is proof that this passage is all about ascent because what other church has curtains everywhere, right? So, Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Right? Make that tent bigger. And then strengthen your stakes. I want to talk today a little bit about what does it mean to strengthen your stakes? What does it mean for us as a church to strengthen our stakes? I, I can tell you right now, like, the only way you strengthen your stakes, I mean, I guess you get some really big stakes, but you go down deep. When you want to strengthen a tent, 
you want to drive those stakes deep into the ground. Anybody who's been camping knows if you don't do that, you're in trouble potentially. And I, I want to kind of throw out the idea that I think the way we strengthen our stakes, the way we drive down deep is going to exactly have to do with how do we connect with God? How do we grow in who God is? How do we drive down deeply into who God is day after day? And we will primarily, I think, as human beings, and I'm going to show you why I think this is true. We will primarily do this as human beings when we are also connecting to other people. I want to give you a little phrase that I hope you'll remember as you leave here. And I think this is true, and I, I want to unpack why I think it's true. If you are not known, if you're not known, you will not grow. If you're not known by other people, people aren't walking alongside you, helping lead you, point you toward Jesus, I can almost guarantee you will not grow. It's huge. That's why one of the words that sits outside uh, the, our little you know, curtains here is the word personal. Our church is really founded on this principle that God is personal and therefore if we're going to grow, we have got to be personal. We have got to be relational. Right? This is not a Sunday event. This is a family that comes together and we grow together and that's at the core we think of who God is. Uh, I want to get into it, but first I have to tell my own little story that uh, Bill shared a story. By the way, I don't know that Bill's ever been outdoors. He is not an outdoorsman. He is like, you know, maybe he's been outside once or twice to get to his car, right? But they, the guy doesn't go to the mountains. It's, he just fascinates me. But um, I, on the other hand, love to be outdoors. I love fly fishing, skiing, that whole thing. That's, that's my deal. Grew up in Boulder. I just love that stuff. And uh, so my, my best story around driving those tent stakes deep was a few years ago, it was pre-kids. Karen and I were up camping near Vail, and we were out, and I was fishing this river and doing my thing, and Karen and I were together having a blast. We had our tent set up. We were walking back to our tent, and there was a couple tents, uh, you know, people had their tents set up in the trees, and this wind came up. And uh, somebody had their tent set up, and no kidding, the wind comes up, and it just starts to tumbleweed, all right, over and over. And it's going through the forest, just going, you know, tumbleweeding through. Doesn't hit a tree, no kidding. It flies into a river. The tent flies into a river, and my favorite thing was it landed like normal side up. So you've got this tent now that starts to float downstream. It was the weirdest thing in the world to see. And Karen like, oh, my gosh, like we got to help these people. So I start running. You know, I'm running through the trees. I'm looking. I'm trying to get ahead of the tent, right? And I, I get downstream ahead of the tent, and I'm, what do I do? I look for this log. And so sure enough, I climb out on this log, and I'm waiting. It was the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life, a tent just like floating at you, like downstream. I'm like, okay, let's stop the tent. Now, the problem is it started to, like, you know, go Titanic mode. It starts taking on water. It starts going down. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? So I get down on my knees as low as I can. I'm like, I'm going to stop this. You know, it's getting really low now. And as it gets to me, I reach down to grab the tent with all that water. And I, I just felt it go like this. And I could feel myself. I mean, I was headed in. If I held onto that tent, I was going under and somehow my foot like grabbed the log behind me and so I, and then I let go of the tent and I 
managed to not go in the drink. But I turned around. I just felt so bad, man. I turned around and I looked. And it was like the final voyage. It just, the tent just, right, right to the bottom, end of life of the tent. And I went back. Karen was like, good try. And I went back. And we were like, what do we do? Do we like write them a note or something, you know? And because it is just gone. The whole thing's gone. And I still think it's so funny. I, somebody somewhere is telling a story right now. And they're like, yeah, we, we came back to our campsite and somebody had stolen our tent. Can you believe someone would steal our tent? No, bro, you just didn't stake it down. <laughs> you didn't drive deep with the stakes. We can blow away too. We can blow away really easily if we don't drive those stakes into the ground in our relationship with God and our relationships with other people, we will blow away, and we've seen it. We've all seen this, right? Because if, if, if you don't, if you're not known, if you're not known by other people, I've, you're not going to grow. I want to show you why I think this goes to the heart of who God is, and I'm going to... Um, I'll start somewhere that maybe this is not what you're expecting me to talk about. I don't know that I've ever talked about this at length, and I just think it's so funny that we don't talk about it more, myself included. I want to start with a concept that you read in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that just permeates its way through about who God is. And it's the idea, we've all heard this, and maybe we haven't thought much about it, it's the idea of the Trinity. You, You ever stop and think about the fact that you see this throughout the scripture, that God is one, but God is somehow three. That there's this weird mystery, and I could give you all kinds of little analogies, but all of them are pretty inadequate, about capturing the mystery of the fact that we see in the scripture God as one, but God as three. Why is that? You ever stop and think, God doesn't have to be anything God doesn't want to be. Why is God three and not just make it simple for us as one? You ever stop and wonder, what's the, what's the conversation like between God the Spirit and God the Father? What do they talk about? What do they like to do? What's funny to them? Jesus, God the Son, and God the Spirit. What do they talk about? What do they do? The Son and the Father. You actually get a glimpse of that, don't you? In the New Testament, you see the conversation between Jesus and the Father. It's, it's, kinda, it's amazing. They, they encourage. They love. They talk. They, there's, there's relationship. Here's the thing. At the core of, God, of who God is, is relationship, is community. God is so wired in the very nature of who God is. To have relationship. And in fact, then you see it as the story starts to unfold. You get into Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Very beginning when people are created. How are they created? You see the Trinity get played out in how we're created. God doesn't make just one gender. God doesn't say, oh, I'm just going to make men or I'm just going to make women. God makes both. And what does God say? Because it's not good that they're alone. You see this in the very beginning in the way we're wired. So God transfers how God is wired, community, trinity, and then places that into human beings. And in fact, in chapter 2 of Genesis, it says we are created in God's image. It's hardwired into who we are from the very beginning. Now, 
Here's the key. Some of us are sitting here going, oh, yeah, no duh, of course, this is obvious. I know there's another talk on why we need to get involved, why we need to get to know other people, blah, blah, blah. This is not just trivia. Uh, there's a researcher in a church, uh, does a lot of church research. His name is George Barna. And Barna has uh, uncovered some really interesting stats. And uh, in fact, one of them is uh, kind of frightening. Let me, let me show you this. And I know we'll have to go back, Jessica, to get this. But here's, here's what Barna shows you with uh, uh, stats around 41% of people would say. So that's two out of five. And, and this would be true probably sitting in this room. 40% of people would say, my faith is totally private. I don't share it. I just keep it to myself. I don't talk about it with other people. Now, here's the scary thing. Even though 40% of people would say my faith is private, far more are living as if that statement's true. Here's what else Barna uncovered. He showed uh, this, that 23% of people, this is people who are practicing their faith, Christians, would say, someone's helping me know Jesus more. One out of five are saying it's true. And then look at this. Only 19% would say that they are actively helping somebody else know who God is. One in five, 20%. There's this 80-20 rule that's going on here. Guys, 80% of us, 80% of us are living and contradicting the way that you were wired. We were created in God's image. And God's image is this idea of trinity that is transferred into us, male and female. We're made in God's image. And yet we are living exactly contrary to the way that we were designed to live. This is a problem. This is a big problem for us. How do we flip the script? As as we go into this new year, we... This has got to change. If we won't grow unless we're known and 80% of us aren't entering into the kind of relationships and contradicting this image that God has placed in us, we got, we got, to, we got to flip that. If we're going to grow into the people that God wants us to be and we're going to impact the world around these curtain walls the way that God has, um, God so much wants, this has got to change. Absolutely has to change. You know, you see the continuation of God's wiring through the Old Testament. You see him being personal in the way he's described. He's described as somebody who loves. He's described as somebody that wants compassion. He's even described, uh, God is described as jealous in places in the Old Testament, especially. You see the personal nature, the relational nature of God. You see God wanting to talk to us. You see in prayer, you read the Psalms. These are intensely personal prayers, unbelievably personal. Like God invites that. It's because he can't help himself. It's right in the core of his nature. You see God show up sometimes in different places with these appearances in the Old Testament, and then he does the ultimate personal act. One of the Trinity decides to actually step into the world, and Jesus comes as a person. John 1 captures that in just amazing ways. John chapter 1, Jesus comes into the world. You ever think about that as being as relational and personal a thing that could ever be done? 
right? This is in the core of who God is. Man, we got to make sure that we understand this as we think about it. if we want to grow and we feel stale and we feel like we're not like, you know, year after year going, why am I not growing? Well, if we're in that 80%, I can guarantee you, again, you're moving against the way you're designed. You're contradicting the way you're designed and we have to figure out how do we pour into other people and how do we let other people pour into us. It's essential. Uh, I want to show you something from Mark chapter 3. This is... Um, is more of how you get a sense of Jesus wiring. So it wasn't just that he came into the world and then stopped being personal. He came into the world and he demonstrated how relational he is. Look at Mark chapter 3. I love it. I never noticed this before until this week. I just went, oh, there it is. Let me, let me read this. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. The guy was a phenomenal teacher. This, uh, so many things that we say and hear are still echoing from Jesus' words from 2,000 years ago. And people knew it even then, and they started following him. They came over uh, from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan, and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. There were people who were just flocking to hear this guy. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. I love this next line because this is just so cool. Uh, check this out. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd wouldn't crush him. Right? I, I just picture the, uh, the disciples have turned to those guys with sunglasses and suits, right, who are like the security. Uh, hey, man, don't get too close because you're going to crush him. Jesus just, there's just so many people now. Imagine that. He's literally worried that he's going to get crushed, so he's got a boat ready to pop into. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. Man, I love this. And then check this out. Whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you are the son of God. Okay? This is the height of Jesus' popularity. You know you've hit it big when people are throwing themselves on the ground in front of you, shrieking, you are the son of God, right? Does that happen to anybody around here? Like this, this, is, this is the sign, this is the marker that you have hit the pinnacle of your popularity. Now, let me ask you this. Jesus was as audacious a human being that's ever lived. So, so make sure you understand, Jesus' idea, and you see this at the end of Matthew, Jesus' idea of what he wants to do, he wants what he is teaching to go out into in the entire world. He's, he's not like a small thinker. He's going, every human being, I want to have a relationship with every human being. And so that's his goal, everyone. So he's not thinking small. Now, if, if there's people in this room who are, I guarantee you, brilliant at marketing, brilliant at PR, if someone's at the height of their popularity, people are literally shrieking at you, you're the son of God, what, what would you coach them to do? How, how is he going to take this now and get it out to the entire world? What's going to be his strategy? How's he going to do it? I'll tell you how he's going to do it. You get on Jimmy Fallon. You start to hit the late shows, man. Get on the, get, get on the Sunday morning talk circuit. Get your word out. Open a Twitter account. Get, get it. Make sure everybody knows your schedule, where you're going to be. The, the, you know, the next healings are taking place right here. Be sure to come. Like, this is, of course, this is how we would coach him because this is exactly what human beings do. We think that if we use a megaphone, 
that that's going to change the world. We think that if we flood people with information, that that's going to change the world. We just got to get our brand out. It's exactly what Jesus didn't do. There's a parallel passage in Luke. It's Luke chapter 6, and you just see this amazing picture where Jesus, at the height of his popularity, I love it. At the height of his popularity, he retreats. He goes up on a hill, and it says that he spends the entire night in prayer. He starts by retreating to the Trinity. He starts by driving the stakes deep. He's like, I'm not going to get blown away by pulling out my megaphone. I'm going to go deep with my stakes because I know if I go deep with my stakes, that tent going wide is actually going to stay there. And so he prays and he reconnects. And I wish, oh, I wish you could like just be a fly on the wall and hear what that conversation was like. Was Jesus tempted to use the megaphone? Ironically, that's exactly what the devil tries to tempt Jesus with. You read that in Luke 4, right? Throw yourself off a temple. Jump off and you'll be caught and you'll amaze the crowds with how incredible you are and they'll bow down and they'll worship you. Be spectacular. That's the temptation. And so that conversation that Jesus is having back with his father, back with the spirit overnight, that's the conversation that's going on. And what does he do? He comes out the other side and he makes a profound choice. Instead of going for the megaphone, he does something else. Look what he does here. He says, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain, called out the ones he wanted to go with him. He went up on a mountain and he called some people to him. In fact, I don't know if you know this, the word church in the New Testament actually literally translated means the called out ones. Here you see Jesus doing that. He's calling people to him now. And they came to him. And then he appointed 12 of them. And called them his apostles, which means the ones he would send, the sent ones. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. The rest of the world would be coaching him to spread the word by mass media, do your thing, be spectacular, use the megaphone. Jesus dials in on a few people, and he pours into them. This is the unbelievable relational nature of God. Now, the incredible thing is, all the marketing gurus in the room would tell you that's not going to work. And here we are, 2,000 years later, sitting in this old Sam's Club. Because of his strategy. I mean, it's surprising on the one hand, and then when you understand the nature of God, you go, maybe, maybe it's not all that surprising after all. Because we're not going to grow if we're not known. And and you can see it here again directly in the nature of who Jesus is. How are we going to flip that script? How are we going to go from the 80 to the 20? How are we going to become as a church, a sent church? What if if 80% of our people were actually in these kinds of relationships pouring into other people? What if we flip that upside down? That's what we're dreaming about around here. You know, we got a, um, a group of guys in our church that uh, meet on Wednesday nights, and they started meeting just like all guys do, right? Smoke meets and sports. That was kind of how we all start in our relationships. 
So they get together on Wednesday nights. They see who has the best barbecue sauce. They talk about the NFL playoffs. They do whatever it is that we all guys do. And what's been interesting is to see them now starting to evolve. It starts just kind of, we start in relationship with other people, obviously on the kind of superficial level. But what's been fascinating to watch these guys as they've continued to meet is first it started with somebody saying, I got to be straight, my marriage is in trouble. I want to, I got to have somebody to talk to about this. Or somebody else saying, my boss is talking about laying me off. Or somebody else saying, like, I've got these unbelievable challenges with my kids. And then somebody else says, I'm not just tempted by something that could ruin me, I'm actually doing it. And so these guys start talking, they start to involve each other in their life. And you see it start to unfold week after week. And finally now they're actually pulling out the scripture and they're looking at the Bible saying, what does God have to say about this? Man, (laughs) these guys, they're headed in that direction where they are going to be, I think, in the center of what God has for them. And I promise you, it would not have happened in isolation. We get in isolation. Do not be surprised when that tent starts to just tumbleweed its way into the river and wash away. These guys are driving their tent stakes deep. Love that. I hope that when you're a part of a community like this, okay, whether it's Ascent or some other church that's in this area or you're getting ready to go off college, whatever it is, and you're looking for a church, you move from here, you're trying to find a church community, I hope that what you're looking for in a church isn't just content. Guys, I, I got to be honest with you, and this is, um, I am not fishing for compliments right now, Okay. If you're coming to this church for content, could I suggest to you there are about 100 other pastors in this country who are better content deliverers than me, okay? You got them right here in your pocket. Stay in your pajamas if you want content. Pull up Andy Stanley from North Point. Get Lisa Turkhurst. Listen to her. John Ortberg, these are phenomenal communicators. If you want content from a church, you never have to leave your home again. The entire world has all the content that they want in their pocket. Now, the reason that you're part of a church community is because you're known. It's because you start to know other people who can actually take content and help form you. It's not information. A church is not about information, right, like passing out information. We're trying to to move toward formation. That is always going to happen in the context of relationships with other people. And that's our job as a church. That's our job. You think about this. This is so funny. Um, The whole world is moving toward, like, how do we connect people with each other and the resources they've got? A church is just the Airbnb in some ways. You know Airbnb? You take people that have places to live and you take people that need somewhere to stay and you connect them to each other. Our job as a church is to inspire you to connect with God. Our job as a church is to be a platform where you come and you get a chance to connect to God. When Becky's up here and the team's up here, it's not entertainment, not karaoke, 
we're creating a platform and environment where you can come in and you can drive those tent stakes deep in your connection with God through singing. That's why, like, come on time, man. <laughs> Get here on time. Don't miss a second of that ability to close your eyes, raise your hand, whatever it is that you're doing. Singing your heart out. That's the nature of worship. That's the, that's the role of the church is to help provide a place where you connect to God. The role of the church is to help you find a place, a platform where you connect to other people. Right? If you're not known, you're not going to grow. And that's why we set up the things that we do. Why do we have a, a bounce house down the hall? It's not for entertainment. We know that those of you parents, if your kids are on the bounce house and they're having a great time and they don't want to leave, that you're going to stand there with your coffee and you're going to meet another parent and you're going to start a conversation and you're going to start friendships that may lead to the kind of groups that we're talking about with those men that are meeting on Wednesday nights. That's why we got a bounce house. After the service today, we're going to do neighborhood lunch. We do not serve lunch for entertainment. You know, we, we lose a lot of money every year on lunch. It's worth every penny because we know that if you stay here and you start to meet people and you start to move toward those kinds of relationships, you're living into the image of God that is created in you and you're more likely to grow. That's why we do that. And if you're somebody here that maybe sense your home and uh, you've been around a while, I'm going to ask you to do something. Connect with people you know. Absolutely. I hope that you'll, you know, when the service is over, you stick around, you, you, you say hi to people you know. But I hope that you will also look around and see, is there somebody here that doesn't know somebody? Is there somebody sitting around here that clearly feels like maybe they're just, you know, they're not talking to people? Go talk to them. That's a spiritual moment. That's not just you being nice. That actually starts the process of someone being formed. It folds them into how they were created by God and the image of God to be in relationship with another person. And that bravery on your part might actually begin the spiritual formation of a person. It, man, do that. That's, there's, you see the beauty in that? Because we want to we flip the script. We want to sent to be and reflect the image of God as it is personal, relational, and we want that to permeate everything we do because if we grow, we know that the people all across our communities, all across the front range, they're going to get a chance to see people who are hopefully being transformed into who Jesus is, and it's just stinking irresistible when people live in that kind of love and generosity toward our neighbors. But it doesn't happen when we live in isolation. It won't happen. So what are you going to do? Where do you take this? It's, it's 2019. Will you let another year go by? Where will you live in the 80%? Or will you move into the 20%? Let me just give you a couple real practical things. I hope maybe you'll choose one of these and, and do it. Let me, let me talk just for a second to those of us who are parents. Uh, you know, I've got two kids, teenagers. I know the pressure that we feel as parents. We want our kids to do great at school. We want them to do great in extracurricular. We want them to do great in sports. We want them to do well. Partially, partially let's be honest, sometimes there's a little bit of self-interest in this because we know that if they get good grades and good test scores that we'll have to pay less when they get to college. Come on. Like we, 
There's, there's some self-interest here. And, and so we often, as parents, from very young ages, we're guilty of putting our kids on a treadmill that destines them for the 80%. I want to ask you, when it comes down, and here's where the rubber meets the road. If you got a choice of, uh, you know, your kid maybe getting involved with something where they might meet other people or meet an adult who loves Jesus and who loves your kid and is willing to invest in your kid, but it might mean that they get to study less for math, are you willing to take a C in math so that they have the opportunity to actually feel and experience what it's like to be in the 20%? In my experience, a lot of parents will always choose the 80%. We won't put it in those terms, but that's exactly what we're doing. Man, that has, that has consequences. There, that will play itself out down the road. This is where the rubber meets the road. Don't destine your kid toward a direction that actually takes them away from how God created them and it contradicts that image of God that's put in them. Man, be willing. Be willing sometimes to maybe make a sacrifice if it means that I'm going to put my kid in a position where they might know somebody else who's going to pour into them. I'm always stunned when people don't take advantage of stuff like our middle school, high school ministry. Their whole goal is for your kids to know some, an adult who loves them, loves Christ. Get them in stuff like that. Man, take advantage of that. Put your kid on a path for 20%. For those of us who are, you know, maybe we don't have kids or we do have kids, whatever, we got to look at ourselves too. How do we take a next step into the 20%? First, we got to decide, do you actually want that? Do you believe what I'm saying? And if not, why not? Now, don't get me wrong. Some of us, I know, we've been hurt. Some of us, maybe we've had past church experience or something happened where we kind of need to be anonymous for a while. I get it. But some of us have sat on the sideline way too long. And maybe we've sat on the sideline and, and man, you are the kind of person that God is just begging you. And you know it. God's begging you to be used in somebody else's life. I hope that this year maybe you will flip the script. Here's a practical way. You can start this tonight. There's a men's meeting tonight, 7 o'clock, right here. My friend Jonah, who has Texas roots, has been smoking brisket since yesterday, <laughs> getting it ready. I think he's got 40 to 50 pounds of meat, you guys, that is coming off the smoker tonight. 7 o'clock, right here, we're going to start to flip the script. Come in, eat. Here's a little thing for those of you guys. We are not these kind of guys, okay? We're not painting our faces tonight. We're, we're a group of guys that loves to hang out together, get to know each other, and our goal is to take you from this big room to a maybe medium-sized room, maybe 80, 100 guys, and then we find the guys that hopefully we're going to start meeting with regularly and we're going to flip that script, and we're going to become the kind of guys that are talking about real things in our life. We're not going to get blown away by a gust of wind. Women, same thing, this Tuesday night. Natalie's got a great night plan. One of those nights where you can come, you can just be, you can meet other women. You can stay in that kind of medium size as long as you need to until you feel comfortable with okay, I'm starting to meet some people and I feel like I can start to move into that smaller circle, that bullseye of who we are. 
you could start that tonight. It is 2019, right? We've flipped the calendar. Will this be the year that you drive the tent stakes deep? Is this the time to not get blown away and take the next step into community, the very nature of who God is? God, please help us to do this. I know this is easier said than done, and I know in me I have seasons where I'm connected and seasons where I'm disconnected. And it's just the nature of me being the human being that I am. I pray, God, for our church. I pray that this would be the most relational place. I pray that it would be so personal, that we would reflect who you are. It would be so obvious that we're a group of people that are growing together. And that just gets totally spread. Lord, I love that you chose a few people and you invested in them. I pray that would be the heart of who we are. God, help us. Help us to move into that, in those things that might get in our way. In your timing, would you remove them so that we can live into that image of who you are? Lord, we pray that, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.